Hi, Sean here. The recording you're about to hear was recorded live with Google Hangouts on the air. So if it's a little bit weird to listen to, that's why. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Laravel Podcast. This is our first attempt at a live video production, so hopefully it doesn't go too terribly. Uh, thanks to Taylor Otwell and Jeffrey Way for showing up. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hey. It's a little weird uh, not being all audio, and so we can't actually edit ourselves, so we have to be sure to, to be careful. Very careful. I think we might be hoping to rely a little bit on questions from people who are watching. So we're using this uh, Google Hangouts uh, live on air, and there's a Q&A app, so maybe... Well, I think you posted the wrong link uh, there. Oh. <laughs> so. Okay, so I'm going to unretweet that. <laughs> what is the correct URL? Well, We're off to a good start. Yeah, so now people are actually joining our video. Does anybody know how to block people from joining? You can do it in the control room thing. Okay. That doesn't mean it doesn't mean they can talk though, right? It's just Oh yeah they can. Oh they can talk. <laughs> Alright. Well, well this may be a different fantastic. kind of podcast. Um so I can't figure out how to actually block it. <laughs> Go to the thing else. Hmm. In control room, you can set like what permissions people have. Yeah, I've been like kind of. Oh, I just muted Taylor there. Oh, just muted Jeffrey. <laughs> this is going super well. All right. So. We're still the only. We're still the only ones talking though. Like, are we sure? Maybe that's just showing us. Who's watching? It's it's totally not. Oh. I'm just being polite. There oh, you yeah. go. Okay, he can't talk. <laughs> well. I am actually out of ideas. So for now, if you join, don't talk. <laughs> This was a great idea. Okay. I think, who, who thought of this? This is awesome. Okay. Um, cool. So now that that is all not actually behind us, uh, <laughs> do you guys want to talk about some of these questions? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. All right. So should we start at the top? Uh, actually, they're voted up. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. So it says, uh, people are saying people are saying that the video call is full. It says, I think because uh, they're trying to join the wrong link. What link? Sh what link should I be sharing? Yeah, let's figure that out. Here. Can you just tweet it, Sean, and we'll retweet? I'm on it. Because I have no idea what's happening. We have totally effed up. Live Laravel podcast sort of working at. If we're developers and we don't know how to use this tool, like how do regular people 
Here we go. Okay. I'll Retweeting. Be <clears throat> so we just have a really trustworthy group here, and they're going to be. Cool. <laughs> no, they're all they're all waiting silently. <laughs> all right. So Q and A. So we have, I think the the upvoted, uh, the top voted one is, do we have a definitive release date for Laravel 5? No, we don't. Uh, the, as far as release dates for Laravel 5, um, a few things have to happen. One, uh, gosh, I can't remember if it's 2.6 or 2.7, has to go stable. Usually that's like towards the end of the month. Like I, even like the last week of the month last year, but even when that does happen, um, oh, Laravel five was originally going to be like Laravel four point three, right, and like a smaller point release. But when we decided to go with Laravel five and made some bigger changes, it might take a little bit longer. So I could envision it being more like late December, early January before you see a release instead of in uh, November, just to make sure things are like ready and polished and documentation is all updated. <clears throat> because it ended up being like a bigger release cycle than we originally anticipated. So yeah, I, I doubt it will be in November. And yeah, and then at that point, maybe just wait till January, because everyone, nobody's yeah. thinking about this stuff around Christmas time. So is there any real point to release it at the end of December? I don't know. No. I mean, last Laravel release we had was in December, and when we had a fall release, it wasn't in November. So. What, yeah. Laravel 4? Laravel... Or the point releases? I guess it was 4.1. was 4. in uh, December 2013. Well, on that note, like a lot of people are asking in, in the Laracast forum, what was the big reason for you to switch from doing a point release to actually wanting to do something much bigger? <laughs> was, well, there was, there was that big SimVar, SimVar uh, semantic versioning controversy where... Like, I can't remember what originally spurred it on, but, I mean, we had 4.3, what was going to be 4.3, working with a new app structure, and, like, we had, like, a service provider that made the old app structure work and all that, but people got really uptight about the semantic versioning thing, so um, since they wanted 5.0, and since we said, okay, we'll just do 5.0 since it's breaking compatibility, then it was like, well, we might as well change a few other things if we're going to have, like, a major version release. So that's when we did, like, middleware and changed up how app boots and a lot of internal stuff that cleaned up. Laravel 5 is so much more like conceptually simple under the hood than Laravel 4 was. It's just a lot cleaner. Yeah, so like as you're working on 4.3, I'm over here at Laracast thinking we're just dealing with a point release, so I'm like trying to stay up to date. And then like as I'm doing these videos, I'm realizing like, oh, Taylor's actually changing a lot. So I realized like, okay, this is just pointless for me to even bother covering it. If anything, it, it's a stupid idea because things are changing so much that I didn't realize. So what I ended up deciding to do is like, all right, just put all of that on hold. And then when we get closer to January or whenever, I'll release a bunch of this stuff. And basically I'm going to have to redo all of the content, but you know, lesson learned. That was maybe not the best idea on my part. I think that you're not the only person to learn that lesson because everybody who started to try to uh, bring in 4.3 or work with a 5, 5.0 project, they have to deal with such constant changes. So, yeah. Yes, it's not for the faint of heart. 
And I, like it happens all the time. Like people, even there are people in the forums who will complain that there's not enough documentation for Laravel 5. And it's like, guys, this isn't done. It's not even to beta yet. So the idea that there should be documentation right now is pretty absurd because it's changing so much at this point. It wouldn't make sense to, right? Yeah, a lot of stuff has changed. I mean, even like the routing stuff has changed a lot like over the past month or so where <clears throat> trying to decide like what the default routing setup should be, whether it should be an, an annotation-based thing or whether it should just be like the plain routes file. So even that alone would affect documentation tremendously, obviously. So so to clarify on that, at this point, routes.php is back. So that will be the default, but if people want to use the annotations, they can still do that, right? Yeah, right now, routes.php is still like the default setup out of the box. <clears throat> and then, of course, the annotations are still supported through the, um, the route scan command. We'll scan and generate a routes file for you. And same with events. Uh, you know, you can do event scan and scan for your event annotations. Yeah, people weren't... The annotations as default was not well received, to say the least. <laughs> no, it was not. That's okay. So what okay. else we got? Yeah, let's see here. The next one on the list is... <clears throat> What led Taylor to write Eloquent rather than using an existing active record solution like Propel? So interesting thing about that question is in very early versions of Laravel, before maybe before I released it, I did use an existing active record project called a PHP Active Record, which was um, I don't I can't remember if Propel was very actively maintained at the time. It's kind of had like a resurgence in a way, like where they've kind of picked back up on it. But at the time, like PHP Active Record was the main one, and um, so I did use that in an early version of Laravel. But around that same time, that became abandonware as well, and like that's not maintained anymore. Like to this day, it's still not maintained. So um, really, I didn't have a huge choice in terms of writing an ORM, um, an Active Record ORM. So yeah, at first I did, but then had to switch because none of them were maintained anymore. Yeah, I was using PHP Active Record, but it was I, even at the time I was using it, it was abandoned. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was a popular thing in CodeIgniter at the time. Yeah. Yep, I remember that. The CodeIgniter days were dark days. Like we don't remember. <laughs> like three years ago, it just wasn't fun. Like you don't even realize like how far as an industry we've come because basically like everyone was using either Symphony or CodeIgniter. And on the CodeIgniter front, like, we thought some of that stuff was cool, you know? And now you just look back and it's like, oh, God, it was so bad back then. Dark Anyways, days. It was different. The dark ages. <laughs> well, here's, here's one that's kind of related, so let's skip to that one. Um, have you been considering any kind of other... Database abstractions. He specifically, or, or Logan specifically, asking about NoSQL. But the, I guess a, a broader question would be: Do you consider any other kind of database abstraction at all? For example, right now we have the the query builder and the the actual that stuff, and then we have Eloquent, uh, which is an active record like built on top of that. Um, any thoughts yeah. about any kind of tools? I haven't really because they're one they're just like really challenging to write uh, an ORM. It's probably the hardest part of the framework to write and to maintain because 
there's just lots of lots of features to it. And then secondly, like we are we have pretty good solutions for um, for some of those things. Like for example, we have Eloquent is is probably you know one of the best Active Record implementation out there. But Doctrine is a really good data map implementation, and Do- Doctrine also has an, a MongoDB layer, and there's various other MongoDB layers. You know, um, so I haven't really given it um, any serious thought. Um, I have used Doctrine a few times, and I've tried to um, I've tried to like layer some um, some things on top of Doctrine to make it have some eloquent features. So like an easy way to convert Doctrine things to JSON for your responses and stuff that would be something you would do a lot with Eloquent. But that's about the extent. Of, I doubt I will be writing any more ORMs. They're really hard to write and a pain. Yeah, and a lot of people are working on on something like Doctrine now. So I guess if you want to use something that's not an active record, maybe just consider Doctrine or another external package. Yeah, there's a lot out there. It takes a lot of effort, so it's probably best to be maintained by someone else. Yeah, especially when you get to the the data mapping stuff, it, it can become stupid complicated with like unit of work and all that other stuff. Yeah, like the first like ninety percent of an ORM is pretty easy, but like that last like ten percent of features that really like make it robust are really challenging. Yeah, and so much has to do with just how it's designed. So I mean feature rich or not, um it's the design in the back that makes it actually not break under weird situations. Yeah. Good question. All right. Let's see here. Kirk asks, what kind of workflow do you use, Taylor, uh, when working across so many different Git and Composer packages? So I guess he's talking about um, how Laravel's broken up into multiple packages and you're working across all of them. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I have some, well, just from a basic level, you know, I have all the, uh, uh, all the repositories cloned down. And then um, I have some bash commands, actually, so that, like, Laravel framework... Um, you know, that's a composer package, but a lot of times, like, I'll want to hack on Laravel framework in the context of, like, an existing application. So I have some bash commands that are sync that stuff in between projects. So, like, I can be working on the Laravel framework repository, and I run this bash command, and it copies that whole framework over into, like, a fresh Laravel app so that I can, like, play with it and test it without committing it and waiting for composer and stuff. So I have some little, like, scripts that I've written to make working that way a little easier across multiple Git repositories. Um, as far as just other tooling, you know, I just use, like, GitHub for Mac for, like, the UI and and stuff like that. But those bash scripts save me quite a bit of time. Yeah, I usually think that we can probably script up a lot more than we actually do. Yeah, I want to release some of those scripts on GitHub, even just on my personal GitHub, because they're kind of useful for working with cross like multiple uh, composer packages. They're cool. Now, this is something we've actually talked about quite a bit, but there, there's getting a lot of activity. Um, in the chat right now. The question is, as the Laravel community grows bigger month after month, is there any plan for an LTS version of the framework? Now, I know that we've talked about it a lot, so maybe we don't spend a lot of time on it, but if you want to kind of give a quick a quick response, we can kind of move on. Yeah, I haven't really... Uh, there hasn't been any official plans for an LTS version. Um, we've always just kind of taken this, like, good faith approach to security fixes where... 
one, they don't come up very often, but the ones that have come up, we've always just backported, like, all the way back to 4.0. And I assume when 5.0 comes out, we'll keep doing that. But there hasn't been any official talk of an LTS version and even what that would mean, you know, so. Yeah, like, on that note, do you feel, like, Laravel's getting so big at this point. Do you feel more and more pressure to, like, formalize everything and and get everything down on paper, you know, like that that boring stuff that a lot of bigger projects end up having to having to do. Is that yeah. pressure you feel? Like I, think I would think if, if I were you, I would want to avoid that as long as possible. Yeah, but, even if even if we don't have like an LTS version, it could be useful just to set down in writing what what is our policy for updates to past you know past versions. Obviously, you know, we're not going to backport just like new features. But in terms of security, uh, security things, what our policies are going to be, would be probably pretty useful to add to the documentation. I can see businesses wanting to know that, especially. Yeah. And especially as Laravel, um, the the barrier to entry kind of seems like it's kind of rising. Um, and we have talked about that actually a little bit. Do you feel like the the barrier of entry? Um, now we've t- Okay, some of the ideas we've had was that Laravel is becoming more simple and more unified. It's uh, fewer um, disparate systems working together. It's like more uh, homogenous. There's the the IOC container and then uh, middlewares and all these other subsystems working together to provide the same functionality that these separate subsystems have been delivering in the past. So in a lot of ways, with the, with the way the service providers are bringing in uh, a lot of the functionality of the framework uh, in 5.0 that where that wasn't really necessarily done in 4. I mean, yes, there were service providers in 4, but they're all behind the scenes inside the framework. Yeah. Uh, loading that stuff up. So we have talked about how it seems like Laravel is becoming more complex, but it also seems like it's becoming simpler. Um, how how can we mitigate that as like a, as a community, and how can you mitigate that as, as the author? Um, because I think a lot of what people are talking about right now, for example, in the chat, is that, you know, Laravel's simple and easy to pick up, and, you know, people like that. Um, so yeah. how, how do we keep that from becoming a problem? How do we keep it from becoming too complicated for people to pick up? Yeah. Yeah, how do we how do we not lose that, um, that value of being able to be easy to pick up, but, you know, you can get a lot of value out of it even as you progress? Yeah. Um... Gosh, I don't know. Well, first, like, do, do you agree that the learning curve is higher now? You don't necessarily agree with that, do you? Not really. I think it's... I still stand by the fact that I think it's conceptually simpler because I feel like um, it's it's closer... It's just more, like, real, I guess, and less... Uh, there's less magic hooks and stuff going on. So, like, for example, um, in Laravel 4... If you want to register an error handler for a specific kind of exception, you call this function called app error and you pass in a closure which type hints the kind of exception that you want to catch. How that is ever called or where that is ever called is totally hidden from you. That's totally invisible. It's just this will be magically called when this kind of exception happens. That might seem easy, but that's 
to me that's actually like really really kind of strange and magical. So in Laravel five, you have you have basically two what's called kernels. You have an HTTP kernel and you have a console kernel, and those are the two entry points into your application, either through the command line or through the web. And in that kernel, you have a try catch block, just a regular PHP try catch block that that kernel passes the request off to your application, and you can catch just any exception you want right there, just like a try catch, just like plain old PHP. So, to me, that's that's simpler than having like a magic type pinned closure that somehow gets called internally by the framework. Like, I, why wouldn't I just have like a simple try catch? at the very beginning of my application if I want to handle a certain kind of error. So those are the kind of things I think that at first glance you might see the word kernel and see this try catch block and think oh this is more complicated blah 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 but to me it's so much simpler because there's it's more obvious what's going on under the hood and not these magic things happening at certain times to make things happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. I think all of this just comes down to, like, basic terminology. Terminology scares people. So, like, if people hear middleware and kernel and they're like, oh, it's too complicated, they forget, yeah. like, okay, well, with version 4, there was new terms, too. Like, Laravel 3 had an IOC container, but I feel like Laravel 4 kind of formalized it a little bit more. And, yeah. you know, it's fair to say back then, like, that was kind of a new concept to a lot of people. The idea of a service provider was very intimidating. I think that was introduced in Laravel 4, right? Yeah. That was a new concept that scared people, but it's like, just take a little bit of time, and you're good to go. These aren't the most complicated things in the world. And also, kind of the cool thing, which which we've talked about in, in past podcasts, is like, with each new release, it kind of levels up the whole community. We introduce some of these new terms that people may not know about, but you'll learn it, and then we're good to go. Everyone's a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah, like, it... it I don't think there's any denying that the, the, how do you explain this? Like, the entry point for Laravel 5, I think, is going to be higher. Like, Laravel 3 was all like, oh, check out this Symfony-style routing, and here are these, I don't know, were there facades in Laravel 3? No, it was like real static calls. Yeah, but anyways, the whole idea was like, look how simple this is, but... And we've talked about this before, it's like, the truth is, is anyone really building applications like that? Anything of, of size. And if the answer is no, then it's like, all right, it's cool how simple that is, but it doesn't really reflect anything that people are actually building behind, beyond, like, little toy apps or, or little services. So, like, yes, you need to have understanding of namespaces and, and some dependency injection. Some of these basic things you will need to know, but, again, is that a bad thing? I don't think it is. So once you get past that, I think it really is a lot simpler. How much of these, how many of these problems are the framework supposed to be fixing, and how many of these problems are other kinds of problems? See, that's one thing. That's one thing I think about a lot is we don't want to have our hands in too many problems. You know what I mean? Because then, then we're like overextended, and it's hard to, um, it's hard to, to maintain that. So, like, I try to keep the framework solving a somewhat minimal set of problems. So, I mean, it solves HTTP routing and all that comes in, in line with that and kind of gives you a basic structure for your application. <clears throat> and then you just have a few infrastructure things like queue and, and mail and database and stuff that a lot of things need. But 
like for example, like deeper deeper architecture issues, I try to like not not be super opinionated on at the framework level because I want people to have the freedom to explore that kind of thing themselves and to to shape it how they want without uh without kind of laying down a law at the framework level on that kind of thing. Well, makes sense to me. So Taylor, well, how was your experience using Angular with Laravel for Forge? Um, I, th I think that this is actually a really highly voted question. People want to know about gotchas and things that uh, insights you can provide them as, as an experienced Angular developer. <laughs> well, also, was that your first Angular app you ever built? Yeah, that was my first. That was my first like real JavaScript to ever write. Besides, so did um, you find that you were like rewriting it over and over as you were learning it? Um. Okay. Wait. Wait. I forget. Um. It was not my first Angular app. My first Angular app was the Snappy um, iOS app in Ionic framework. So that I learned a lot doing that, and then brought a lot of that over into Laravel Forge. Just my what I had learned about Angular. Um. I really liked Angular. It. Um. I I didn't build like a single page JavaScript application. I just have like a separate Angular controller that's loaded or just for each page, single page. So there's no, like, Angular routing or anything like that. But, I mean, all I used it for was just, like, the HTTP calls and then the uh, model binding on the form elements and then just, like, hiding and showing stuff. So uh, it was pretty simple, and it worked out pretty well for me. I, I'm using it on another project right now, and, and it looks pretty good, too. So... It's all, it's, but it's all I know, so I, I can't give any uh, comparison or contrast to like any other JavaScript frameworks. Have you guys seen uh, the Angular 2 stuff? Yeah, people are pissed about Briefly, that. Yeah. It looks so. I awful. only went over one article, and people are pissed. They I have are. to admit, like without reviewing it too much, that's like a case where it's like, is this better? It probably is better in a number of ways, but just on the surface, does it read better? And to me, the answer is no, but. When Obviously, I saw that, it's like a familiarity issue, right? You you get better at reading. Um, when I'm coding, I want to see other people code exactly how I code because that makes it so I don't have to translate their ways of being into my way of being. But I'm okay with having to put in a little bit of effort to 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 rise to the occasion and be able to deal with the the problem at hand. So um, I I like to to mess with stuff for a good while before I, I tried to have too too strong of, of an opinion, especially after I went through the whole PHP Storm debacle when I went through all of the effort to tell JetBrains what I hated about their IDE and then ended up switching to it full time. When I saw that when I saw the Angular 2 stuff, my main reaction was I hope that's not how Laravel 5 goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I uh, I stay out of front end like completely. I have messed with Angular and Ember both, and I've made prototypes in them, but I intentionally have always like just left that to other people to do. I kind of decided that with Angular two, I'm going to actually jump in and learn that like right right away, and I'm not going to follow any tutorials because I feel like following tutorials um, when it comes to this JavaScript stuff is a great way for me to get completely like just trained wrong. So I'm going to try to use the same ideas that I, I'm, I'm operating on in the back end and just try to do good code, uh, good testable code in the front end and, and learn it like that. That's my strategy anyway for Angular 2. I hope it works out. Yeah. 
What else? Right, so uh, here's one for Jeffrey. Jeffrey, will you publish new screencasts on rules and permissions? Okay. Next question. Okay. He says yes. <laughs> I, what I, what everybody should do is just post feature requests for Laravel and Laracasts into the Q and A, and we'll read them all. No, like, all right. To talk about this, on one hand, like, not on one hand, but it can be difficult with Laracasts because at all times there's one group that's not happy with something. So, for example, when I, I was there was a period period of about a month where I was covering some more advanced topics, all of that command-oriented architecture. That's some higher-level stuff that I was focusing a lot. So there were a bunch of beginners that were complaining because like, they're not quite ready for that, understandably, but there wasn't as much content for them. So now I'm doing this like whole series I call Object-Oriented Boot Camp, which is really like, okay, you want to use Laravel, but you're not quite ready. Like You need to brush up on some of these some of these concepts. So now I'm kind of focusing on that, and other people are getting upset that there's not more stuff. So it, it can be frustrating sometimes, but... I can understand that, because when somebody's putting out, like, a thousand videos a month, it can be really easy to complain about not enough material being covered. Yeah, I want to be like, okay, if, if this video I released isn't for you, then watch one of the other ones that I've recorded in the last year. But... I don't know. I, I get it. Like people are signing up, so they always want something relevant to them. But I'm just one person, and I like the fact that Laracast is just one person. Most sites aren't like that, and it's very difficult to to learn because you have all of these different styles of teachers and what approaches they have, and that can actually sometimes be be difficult. There's only so many hours in a day to cover everything. That is all. Okay. That is so all. Tom asks, is there anything you want to change in Laravel 5 but are not going to because of backwards compatibility, timing, or controversy? Uh, I changed everything I wanted to change. Just like controversy be damned, basically. Like, I think I pretty much did everything I, I wanted to do. Um, I can't think of anything that I held back on because I was too scared. I mean, I'm still scared that people are going to hate it and not use it anymore, but I, I did. I think I did it all. Well, cool. Really, at this point, I'm trying to think, like, what would people be must, most upset by? The route annotations were clearly it, but that's a non-issue at this point. So excluding that, what would there really be, well, not to be upset by, but to be worried about? I can't think of anything. Well, my main concern at this at this point late in the game is um, the like documenting the upgrade path is not the, the same as it was when it was for 4.3. Like it's going to be more of like a 3.0 to 4.0 thing where I think it's going to be easier to like get your fresh uh, Laravel 5 app and configure it, you know, how you want and then move your controllers over and move your models over instead of trying to like update your app in place. Like, that's what I did for moving from Laravel 3 to Laravel 4 is I just got a fresh Laravel 4 and copied and pasted all my models and controllers over and went that route instead of trying to, like, piecemeal upgrade an existing Laravel 4 structure. You know what I mean? So the upgrade path, I think, is going to look a little bit different. And, uh, but the, the, the one, I mean, the benefit is the underlying APIs for all these things have not changed. So you're, you're not going to have a lot of, like, syntax uh, changes in your code. It's more just, like, probably going to have to manually move some folders around. 
Okay, we're just going to hit this one real quick. Taylor, are you using PHP Storm? No, why not? <laughs> Go for it. I think he started using it, and then he was, like, done by the end of the day. Is that right? Yeah, gosh, I did start using it. Um, I don't know. I don't hate it. I'm getting more. Every time I use it, I feel like I get a little bit closer to being, like, I could do this. So, like, maybe two or three more tries, and I'll be, like, it will actually stick. It's really tough. Like, I was I was tweeting about this the other day. Like, Sublime and PHP Storm make the best editor ever. So, like, I don't just use PHP Storm. Actually, I use Sublime, like, quite a bit when I'm doing edits and, um, like, quick fixes and stuff like that. Sublime, like, clearly, it's it's so fast, and you forget, like, PHP Storm is fast for an IDE, but you switch back over to Sublime, and it's just ridiculous how much faster Sublime is. So it's hard to to abandon that. But I, I did find that, like, when I'm actually building up my classes and and all of that stuff, I don't like using Sublime at all at this point, yeah. just because PHP Storm makes it so much easier. Even the stuff like creating properties and then um, assigning them in the constructor, all of that stuff that even if you have little shortcuts, it still takes a while in Sublime, whereas if you use PHP Storm, it's literally one keystroke. So, yeah, yeah I use yeah, both. I am getting day. tired of all that. My question you is can how create you... macros in Sublime, but it's still not as flexible. How do Sublime Text users manage their namespace imports? Manually. Very poorly. I can tell you that. Use like symphony like slash x slash y. Full, full class name. Yes, I typed every full I, name. Yeah, I mean, that's where it gets nice. really hard. Like, okay, I'm, I'm pulling in some kind of like symphony component, and I don't know the API very well. So the first thing I have to do is like find out which class I need to import, and then manually type that in at the top, and then I don't have auto-completion, so I would have to switch back over to the class and review what the public methods are. All that stuff just kind of becomes a nightmare for me. Yeah, that part does suck, and that does make me want to switch. I'll try it again today. I'll try it after the podcast. Sometimes there's stuff that no, the intelligence know. just can't figure. <laughs> he'll 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 try. It'll be okay. So, but sometimes you have to actually like put like little annotations in line to tell PHP Storm, okay, I'm resolving this from a container or right. something. You don't know what class this actually is. You know how like in Java or something, you might typecast something to a more specific, yes. um, to what class it actually is when you're accepting an interface. Yeah. Uh, so I I can't do that with like PHP Storm, so I can have autocomplete and stuff because I don't know what methods any of my classes have, apparently. I, I bet that makes you really kind of more in touch with your with your like namespaces and stuff like that if you have to type them all out manually. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it, more in touch, yeah. <laughs> um, Taylor, where do you see Laravel in the next two years? <laughs> I just hope we're all still I just hope we're all still here, honestly. Like at this point, like it get, I get to these point like late in these development cycles where I'm like, I'll be happy if anyone still uses Laravel, because like I feel, um, I don't know, I just get like very nervous during release cycles that I hope everyone is satisfied with what comes out. So if we're all still here, like liking building web applications with Laravel two years from now, that will be really great. But um, it's hard because there's like. There's a big group of the PHP community who's like, oh, don't worry about Laravel because it'll be gone in a few years, and that's the cycle. Yeah. And what's hard is, like, that's true. But at the same time, I don't know. Like, Rails has been here for years and years. Yeah, is that, like, a good mindset? Like, oh, Laravel will be gone, and there will be something else, so don't worry about that. Well, barring, 
barring some extreme event, I don't see Laravel disappearing. Um, like Symphony and Symphony's like nine years old, yeah. so it's not it's not like that's that's got to happen. Phil, I mean Phil Sturgeon likes to he likes to say that all the time about how it's it's going to be gone, blah blah blah. But and he he's comparing it to frameworks that are did not have the same critical mass. That Laravel isn't Laravel had. the most used framework like at all, like total, right now. I mean it's the it's the most it's the it's the most active pro- PHP project on GitHub. If that's how you want to measure it, and like the projects that people compare it to, to say like, oh, look at this framework, it died out. Like comparing it, it's, Kohana and Laravel are not in the same league, even though you may feel like they were similar in terms of popularity. They're not. Like it's it's a lot bigger than that, and it's not just going to disappear, barring some extreme event. I just hope everyone, uh, I just hope everyone is satisfied with the uh, with the upgrades. Those are, that's the part that makes me the most nervous is that people will get. People will get tired of um, like anything forward and kind of get disgruntled. That's my biggest fear, I guess. I think that uh, I'm going to answer this question: Where's Laravel going to be in two years? Because I have no control over it at all, and I'm just going to just after working with Taylor a little bit and uh, watching this whole thing kind of come together. I think that Laravel is going to basically evolve to be what Taylor perceives as the cleanest way to accomplish these goals as he uh, gains new understandings and insight into all these things. Plus, you have to use the the version of Laravel and learn from it, and then you can iterate on it that way as well. So there's going to be internal and external learning that's going to come together, but I don't think that it's going to just start gaining new features. Uh, I think that it's just going to be... um, Help with the the way that the paradigm's shifting and in the in the culture and kind of keep up with the culture. Yeah. All right, Taylor, do you want to choose a question here? Um, let me see. There's some on Twitter too. Um, what's the best way? Man, look, I'm looking through these questions. Okay, let me comment on this dollhouse. My wife and I bought a house, and in the attic, it's, like, really dated. They had remodeled the entire house, but the attic is, like, from 1920s. So if you look behind me, you can see, like, pink flowers, and I didn't pick this, so don't think this is, like, my design decision. But I do uh, record screencasts up here because if you can see the the walls, it's very slanted and curved, curved, so that makes it really good for recording videos. So that's the only reason why I'm up here. This is not my office. Don't judge me. Don't upvote that question anymore. <laughs> okay. Did you find one? Someone commented on uh, Laravel performance, how to get, uh, how to help improve performance of large Laravel applications. Uh, one one thing uh, regarding performance. Um, and Laravel 5 will be the route cache, which is a huge uh, performance increase if you have a, a big code base. Another thing is it's it's fairly easy to um, to node balance PHP. So like I have that like on Forge we have a uh, a node balancer and a few web nodes, even though it's really overpowered. We don't really need them, but um, 
that's a, that's a, Laravel works really well in that environment, or really PHP does in general. But um, Laravel, since it has drivers for uh, like memcached and Redis and stuff for session, it's very easy to like break that out and balance it all out. Uh, so that's one way to do it. Another way is a lot of times if I'm doing um, like API uh, heavy stuff, I will just use like the query builder or something instead of like a full eloquent call, especially if it's like a, a, a specific query that's hit quite a bit, then that can save you um, that can save you some CPU cycles too. So in what ways can the the Laravel framework itself? In what ways is can that become a performance bottleneck? Uh, the mo- the biggest performance bottleneck in the framework itself is going to be if you're doing a, a really heavy eloquent stuff, because like hydrating out all those models and stuff is going to be your your probably your the first bottleneck you're going to hit in like a big Laravel application. Now, do you feel like that's just a consequence of using Active Record as a pattern? It's just a lot of it's just a lot of stuff an ORM does for you like like in the way it mutates attributes across every record it pulls and, and the things it's checking and doing. Um, I, I mean, I have words. We don't, I don't have any bottlenecks like that, but I, I have, when I have talked to a few people that are like trying to milk more performance out of an app, usually if they're hydrating like a thousand eloquent models in like a single request or something like that, that's not going to fly usually. Like you're going to have to drop down to a query builder or something like that. And I, I mean, I assume that's the case with a lot of ORMs, but event sourcing. <laughs> um, yeah. So Taylor, uh, why are form and HTML builders no longer part of the core? Because um, the the person asking this question suggests that they're using like every Laravel project that they've seen. Yeah. Yeah, that pissed people off, too. Is that part of a, a grand scheme? Is like step one of a multi-part plan? Um, so the the form and HTML builders, like people are really opinionated on how those should work and like what features they should have. And it kind of creates this, um, this disproportionate amount of pull requests and issues on the framework for the HTML and form helpers compared to everything else. And so it made more sense just to say, like, we're going to split these off into separate packages, and you can continue using them if you want, but from now on, we're going to let the community decide how they want to do their their HTML and form helpers. Just because it didn't feel like... It didn't feel like the, the amount of time that was having to be put in to manage those pull requests and issues did not equal, like, the payoff that having HTML helpers gives you in a framework. Like, it, it just didn't... They didn't match up, so... It's just better to let uh to kind of farm that out. Plus, people are always asking like how they can help with the uh, the framework, you know. So, this is a great opportunity. <laughs> yeah, there's a. Are you getting a lot of help, Taylor? Are is are a lot of people coming to to help uh, aid the framework, aim the aid the cause? Uh, actually, there have been a lot of people that have been really useful during the, this whole Laravel 5 development cycle. Like, a lot of people, even though sometimes I get frustrated by people getting mad that things are breaking in Laravel 5, there are a lot of people that are using Laravel 5 and providing, like, useful um, feedback, like, you know, hey, this isn't working. And not they're not saying it in, like, a, a complaining way, but it's just, like, posting an issue on GitHub, like, this needs to be looked at, blah, blah, blah. And, um... 
So that's been really helpful. I have a, a question for you. When building Laravel Forge, you're kind of having to do, you're doing the developer as a business thing, right? Developer as a business person thing. What have yeah. you learned about running the business and running all of that that you could share? Um, hmm. That's a loaded question. Loaded? <laughs> loaded. Gosh, I don't know. I feel like Laravel Forge has been a pretty easy business to run so far. Um, you know, there's always people that are, are not satisfied with what they're getting and like the response the response when people are not satisfied with Laravel as a framework is totally different than when they're not satisfied with Laravel Forge, or at least it should be, because like you know, when someone's not satisfied with Laravel as a framework, it's like, whatever, I don't care, you know, it's this is free anyway and if you don't like it, you can use something else. But when someone complains about Laravel Forge, it's like they're a paying customer, so I have to respond a little bit differently than I would might respond to like Laravel Framework. But that's the biggest difference is just trying to uh, kind of be in that customer service mindset instead of a uh, open source mindset. <laughs> Submit a pull request. Yeah, exactly. I can't just tell them to take a hike or whatever. So. It can be a little challenging. I mean, because Forge is still a very cheap product. I mean, at $10 a month, for someone that's managing, for example, UserScape, we manage probably 12 or 13 servers on there. So for $10 a month, that's, they're still not paying a lot, but at the same time, there is a difference between pay and free. So the tone, tone is a little different, I guess. Yeah, I think it's hard for developers to start businesses because we tend to be able to make an application. So we think that the business business needs to be an application, and right, the application is never actually the business. A business is something that's separate, and then the application has to uh, support it and make it make it happen. Right? It, it's almost like uh, our our web applications are just automated people. So if we like program all these people to talk to each other and solve the problems for us, then we could probably probably get done, but I think that for me, as being a, I've been a, on a lot of developer business projects, and very few have panned out, because we get into like the developer mindset of, how are we going to implement all this stuff, yes, we're developers, we're going to knock this app out of the park, but without the business focus, uh, it didn't really work out, and that's something that, you know, has really kind of become super clear to me in the past couple of years, is, as I've started to get not awful at this other stuff. Yeah. What about you, Jeffrey? How how does how does running your own business uh, give you new insight into what you're doing? Um, running a business is hard. Like a lot of people say, like, oh, Jeffrey gets paid to learn because like I learn and then teach this stuff, but it's not quite as nice as that. Like just the the day to day business of running Laircast can sometimes be a little overwhelming just because it's all me. So it's like even things like handling customer support threads, like I hate it, you know, just to be to be frank. Like obviously you have to respond to these people, but it takes up so much of my day now at this point where I want to be like working on other things that will actually make Laracast better. I have to do just kind of day-to-day -day work, so that can be very difficult for me. But other than that, like it very much was the best decision I ever made. I had this joke 
uh, I talked about a couple months ago with the last company I worked at, Envato, joining them was the first best decision I ever made, and then leaving them was the second best decision. So, like, I don't know what <laughs> the moral of that story is, other than, like, don't get comfortable or, or always be uncomfortable. But, um, yeah, like, it's a mixed bag. Running your own business, I don't know, and Taylor may have it better than me, but, like, it feels like I'm never not working. Like, we talk about how you can't take a vacation, and that's kind of true. Even on my level, like, I'm not running an Amazon, but even on my level, like, I'm going on vacation this weekend. I can't really go on vacation because there's going to be customer support tickets. There may be bugs that I have to take a look at. All of that stuff, especially when it's just you, you're the one who has to handle every single one of these things. So that can get a little overwhelming, but I'm very happy to be doing it. Especially when you intentionally say small, right? It's not like you couldn't have other people doing work for you, but you want to be that one person who has a single voice and all of your product is unified in that way. So this is kind of a natural consequence of that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, maybe maybe I'm a control freak, but like I've seen some of the downsides. Like at, at the last company I worked at, we'd have like six people working on some kind of product. And on one hand, that's awesome. And But on the other, it's like every single thing you want to do has to be discussed. So you'll have a meeting. Here's what I want to do. Everyone talks about it. And then the meeting always ends with, well, everyone thinks some more, and then we'll talk again next week. <laughs> you get to this point yeah. where it's like nothing can get done because you keep planning the next meeting to discuss it further versus, like in my case, if I want to do something, even if it's the wrong choice, I can just do it. You know, I really appreciate that that flexibility, that it can be midnight, and if I want to push something, I can do it without having a meeting with, with four or five other people. Yeah, I think and some so, of that comes like, down to... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so even though I don't have as many resources as a bigger company, sometimes I feel like I might be able to move a little bit more quickly because I don't have those barriers that most people or most companies do. Yeah, some, sometimes I think some of that comes down to like a concept of ownership. Like if... Uh, if the people working on something don't really feel ownership and maybe they just want somebody to tell them what to do, uh, then that's a kind of a real problem. And then the idea of giving the people who are actually working on the project a certain level of autonomy to make decisions, make mistakes, um, and just know that you know you're you're assembling this team, so assemble the team in a way that you're going to get something done and not have to you know manage it all at a small level. Yeah, and and that's what I worry about. Like, Laracast is at the point, I could hire one or two people if I wanted to, but I'm, like, trying to push that off as long as I possibly can because once you do hire people, you have to deal with their pay. You have to deal with, like, um, just you have to deal with dealing with them, you know, and working with them and making sure they're involved, and that has a cost. So I'm trying to push that off as long as I possibly can. Okay. So cool. Another. There's a hot. There's a hot question on Twitter, or that I've gotten a lot. Uh, Chris Fidal TM has asked what happened to the Whoops Air Handler in Laravel. Um. Last few weeks, so I'll just go ahead and talk about that for a second. Um, with Whoops, it it gives you that really pretty screen. But I think what people are not understanding about Whoops is that it makes a lot of other assumptions about the way your application does error handling. And what I want, and what I'm still open to putting in Laravel 5, is I want something where I can hand it an exception, and it gives me back a HTTP foundation response, and that's it. That's all it does. It just 
turns that exception into a pretty response that I can send back to their client. Now, Symphony, Symphony can do that. Symphony's debug component, and that's that that gray and white screen with the stack trace in Laravel 5. That's like a lot more plain looking. That's that's the response Symphony gives you. But if there was a you know a standalone piece that I could use to have a better, a more appealing you know debug screen, then I would use it. But the reason that we're not using Whoops is that it likes to get like a lot more up in your how you're doing your error handling. It's more like a full error handling solution, not just like an error formatter. So that's the reason that whoops, um, it, it's hard to use whoops. And also whoops, it, it breaks in certain situations so that like if you run like a PHP Artisan Optimize on your host machine and then you get an error, uh, you're running your application like in Vagrant, you're going to get a white screen of death on your error. You're not going to get any error information. And you'll have no idea what to do. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, which that can't happen like in an error handling situation. So I want, like, I want to have, like, maybe a more informative and easier to read screen, but um, it needs to be written in such a way to where it's, it's not as, like, intrusive into the error handling itself. So shout out to all uh, PHP package makers and uh, people working on that kind of thing. Whoops is nice in some ways to be able to click through it and like like that, but I mean a simple yeah. stack trace is really all you really need most of the time. Um, you don't have to go too much deeper. Yeah, it has broken on me before, and I just had to spend my time fixing it and mess with it and and with it, and that's why I said decided okay, this is just one abstraction too many. And yeah. I just I just went and like told it to just JSON everything and output the JSON directly to the screen. So that's how I yeah. see most of my errors. Yeah. So if, if it's cool with you guys, I think maybe we do like ten more minutes since we had a little bit of uh, a little clumsiness in the beginning. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, have a couple more questions. Um, hey Taylor, what did end up happening to LifeRaft? Did people not not adopt that, or was it do you think there's just not enough communication? Not because if people are used to interacting with GitHub, right? Then how do you train them to not? How do you train them to to kind of go and use this other thing instead? So what happened with that is after I put it out, people a, a few people have used it, but I started looking around at how other communities do GitHub issues, mainly how Rails um, is doing issues and pull requests because, you know, they're a very large open source project. And one thing I found interesting about their approach and their documentation for contributing is they talk about GitHub issues as being, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a place where you're going to come get your problem fixed. It's a place where you're going to be able to come and, and post your issue and maybe collaborate with other other developers and figure out what's going wrong and and submit a fix. So it's not like a um, they were very clear in their 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 documentation that it is not a place to come um, have all your problems solved for you. It's more of a, a more of a collaboration spot. And so I really liked that approach to where. I, I turned issues back on on the framework, and then I. But I almost never go in there. I almost never go into issues. I only go into pull requests. But I do just let people file issues, and if there is like a critical issue, I can of course go look at it. But I think it. I think after reflection and stuff, and after reading that how Rails was doing it, it made sense to to let that be a place for collaboration and discussion on 
issues people were having, whether they're valid or not valid issues. And then I just kind of, I let Graham Campbell look over a lot of that and bring stuff to my attention. And then I kind of focus mainly on the pull request side where things are more, much more actionable. You know, like I have a merge, I, have, I can either merge this or it needs work or, or what, but it's very clear, like, I can take action on this in this situation where with issues like a lot of times they're just not actionable. Like they don't have enough information or it's not even confirmed if it's a valid issue or anything. So I, I kind of, I kind of let Graham handle a lot of that right now. And then I focus on the pull request. Yeah. Shout out to Graham Campbell. He recently fixed a bunch of my stuff, my like repositories, <laughs> composer stuff that I didn't even know was not optimal. So <laughs> thanks Graham. <laughs> Fix the indentation on this line. It's out of nowhere, like repositories that we have never talked about, uh, and that I didn't know that he was involved with at all. He just comes in and fixes everything. So thanks. Yep. Yeah, and it might be nice to get a few other people in there soon, uh, just kind of looking over issues and commenting and either closing or like some way of escalating them or pinging me, you know, if they need my attention. I could see it being useful to have two or three more people in there. Here's an interesting question for Jeffrey. Um, <clears throat> Jeffrey, do you still work on real projects other than sample apps and tutorials? So I guess we're making a <laughs> distinction between sample apps and tutorials and, like, client work or something like that. I know you kind of built Laracast, the actual web app, um, but... That kind of begs another question that I'm going to ask you, which is, do you worry about um, not being sharp eventually because you're not working with clients and stuff like that? Does, is that something that you're concerned with? No, I'm thankful I'm not work, working with clients anymore. I did it for many years. I uh, kind of hate it. You know, I started out probably like a lot of people just doing kind of freelance work. And um, that's kind of a nightmare because they're never happy. And even if you do it right, they may not be happy. So... I, I, I hate that part. So now, like, when I'm when I'm not doing like education type stuff, Laracast is the product I build. I build every ounce of that product, and so like even for something like that, it's not the most complicated thing in the world. But there's thousands and thousands of lines of code in there. Everything from like billing to to the forum to all of these various things, all these different workers running. So even a project like that builds up pretty quickly. So m these days, like. All my effort gets put into that, and I'm thankful for it. So in terms of like not being sharp, absolutely not, because I'm coding every single day, every like literally every single day. There's not a day when I'm not like working on some kind of project, whether it's a package or the the Laracast code base or teaching something or researching something. So no, I'm not worried about that at all. For me, I, I've been working client work and doing a little bit of you know other stuff coming in and. and talking to developers at companies. And I'm starting to do so much less client work and stuff like that lately. I'm so it's my time is starting to be filled with with other things and I I am actually kind of becoming nervous. I'm not being forced to solve problems that I wouldn't come across on my own. Um, all those weird things that you know, for example, you know like the the statistical modeling stuff we've talked about before um, and and some stuff like that having to figure out how to solve those problems wouldn't come up to me if I wasn't being forced into doing somebody else's dirty work, you know? So I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of trying to figure out what what is the correct mixture of things to, to make sure that I'm kind of what I need to be um, over the coming years. So, I mean, it's something that, you know, maybe we could talk about more later. But 
Yeah, I've been having some doubts about not doing workflow. Does this ever cross your mind? Is this something you're worried about? Me or Taylor? Uh, Taylor, sorry. Sorry, I didn't hear. Uh, you know, I've tried. I've. It's been really nice for me because at uh, at Userscape, I still do. I still do projects, and like we have a project on Laravel five right now at Userscape that uh, really showed me a lot. Of, it showed me a few things at Laravel five where I just thought like this is kind of sucky, and fixed a few things. So. Um, and then, of course, uh, with Forge, which I don't do a lot of maintenance on, but it does kind of show me some things. But, yeah, uh, you know, having Userscape is still a really nice dog-fooding opportunity for me and Laravel and how staying sharp on things and, and building real apps, you know, not just, not just like building the framework in a vacuum, which was always like a huge fear of mine that I would be building, like, just in the dark, just guessing at what would be a nice, what would be nice in a web framework, which is like the worst way to build these kind of tools. So it's very, uh, I'm very thankful that I have a good situation where I can build these in very legitimate uh, web app situations. So I think maybe we have one more question. Um, can I choose it, or do you guys have a preference? Go for it. Go for it. So. Um, Someone asks here, do you have any goals and or plans regarding Laravel Elixir and its future role in the Laravel ecosystem? So I guess what I would like to know is kind of like an update on where you both stand with it and how you how you perceive its um, value now after it's been out for a little while. And, you know, do you like it and do you still plan on supporting it going forward? I feel like people think Elixir is a lot bigger than it is. That's sort of like even the fact that some people have upvoted this question. Laravel Elixir is just a little wrapper around Gulp to make some of these things that basically everyone does a little simpler. So if you're starting out a project, maybe you just instantly want SAS support. Well, you could like set up Gulp and then create these tasks and set up the, the correct directory paths, or you can type mix SAS and you're done. So really, there's nothing more to it than that. It's just a little wrapper around some Gulp tasks. So like, I don't know, maybe Taylor has a lot more in mind. We'll have to talk about it, especially when we get closer to Laravel 5, but I just don't feel like it's a massive tool that, I don't know. What do you think, Taylor? I use it, like I'm using it on my new Laravel 5 project. I really like it. I mean, mainly because I just just got me started so quickly and I just kind of started using it and then forgot about it and it just works. So I really like it. as far as the future of it, you know, one thing we did early on was um, make it so that people can write extensions for Elixir, or really Jeffrey did. I didn't have anything to do with it, but it made it so where you can write extensions for Elixir um, basically as node packages. So <clears throat> uh, because early on we were getting, like, a lot of feature requests, understandably, for, like, oh, it would be neat if it supported X, you know, with with the short syntax and stuff. So that was probably one of the best decisions I would say we've made with Elixir is letting people write extensions as the node packages so that it's very customizable and extendable while still having like a really clean, uh, neat interface. Yeah. But beyond that, it's just not that complicated. If you think about your typical project, you're probably doing some kind of CSS compilation. You're probably uh, combining some set of scripts or style sheets. Um, 
you might be doing some versioning or something like that. But beyond that, it's like we're not dealing with the most complicated stuff in the world. And if you are dealing with a situation that's pretty complex, you don't have to use Elixir. You know, it, this isn't going to be for 100% of people. It'll be for 80%. And for the 20 who need something a little more specific, then use Gulp like you always do. There's nothing saying that you can't use Elixir and then also write your own Gulp tasks. You know, so it, it's just a, a small convenience in my mind. Yeah, I like it. Well, I think that that should do us uh, for about an hour, and uh, I want to thank uh, you both very much for showing up. I thank you so much for showing up, and all the people who are in our hangout who have been really awesome and not disruptive at all. That's amazing. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Full admin access. <laughs> It's that's a, that's impressive. Uh, nice nice lack of trolling. But um, yeah, so I guess we will um, be back for probably a not video, not live podcast next time. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching. See ya. See ya.